teaching on Wednesday through 1 Peter chapter 3. And that's, if you turn into your Bibles or your phone, and we'll be teaching out of that, starting with verse 13. But um, after service on Wednesday, uh, Mario said, Pastor Raul, you didn't label your uh, teaching. So this morning, I have a label or a heading or a, it is called put, sanctify the Lord thy God in your heart. So he asked me last week, um, what's the, the heading of your teaching? I said, don't be late to dinner. I'm only kidding. Um, so this morning, I'm going to set the table for you so you can eat. We know that the Lord is moving. There's, even in our country, there's transitions of new president and vice president. Last week, we, Wednesday, we talked about there's a new president in the White House, but how about your house? And we talked about marriage and the wife and the husband. And, the, and we talked about the church. But this morning, we're going to look further into this chapter. And I'd like to just start with chap, uh, verse 10 of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Look what it says, and then we'll pray. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Father, this morning as the community of Alive gathers in the sanctuary and for those who are home watching online, Father, we ask that as we sit at your table this morning, as we Look to your word to feed our soul. Moses said that man does not live on bread alone, but by the word of God that proceeds from the mouth of God. And this morning we have come to worship you because you are worthy of it all. We've come to learn what it means to sanctify the Lord in our hearts. And so we give you this morning and we give you thanks and praise. And the family of God said, amen. 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 So we're in a transition. Pastor Art is at Downey Calvary teaching this morning, the two morning services. And he's asked me to come along and support him and strengthen the body. Because in this transition, you could get lost. 
But if you think about a transition, a transition takes you from one room into another. Visually, you see the Lord of, the, of uh, God's hand involved in this transition. And as a live will go into a bigger arena, a bigger room. I was talking to Pastor Art this, this week because we talk a lot and I encourage him. And um, he was saying that, you know, I was a little fish in, a, in an aquarium and now I'm, this, I'm a fish in this ocean. What a difference, daunting from coming from a little body of believers and now he's placed in this big community. And I said, yes, Art, that's true. It could be very scary. But you're still a fish and you're still in your environment. Just a little bigger. And he said, that's right on, that's true. Pray for Pastor Art. Pray for the leadership of Alive. Because God has a great plan. This transition is only has to be God. Only God could do this. As a year ago, Art and I would talk about it. Because it's been a, a long transition. And a, a lot of prayer. And so Peter is going to encourage us this morning. Starting with verse 13. Let's read down to 17. And he says this in chapter 3, 1 Peter, starting with verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile you or your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And Peter is making this transition. He's talking about it is better to do good and suffer for Christ than to do bad and still suffer. Amen? So look what it says in verse 13. And, and who is he who will harm you? Who's the he? Well, I think if you look back what we read, um, Peter gives, we read Psalms 34 in this quote. Look what verse 12 says. Just go back one verse. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Amen. That's, he's speaking to us. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's the he. We live in a society that does not represent God. Remember, 
that the children of Israel, the Christians, believers who believed in the Messiah, were now pushed out of their community because the king of, or the emperor of Rome was Nero Caesar. And he was persecuting the church. He was persecuting the, the Christians. And so they are now scattered quarantined in a, a time. And so Peter is encouraging them. Just as this word this morning, my prayer is that you would be encouraged and strengthened in this transition, what God has planned. God had a plan to raise up Nero Caesar, to cause a persecution in the church, to scatter the church in areas where the gospel was not preached. And God was using this persecution, using Nero Caesar to bring about the plan of God, the kingdom of God, the business of God. And so he says in verse 13, and who is he will, who will harm you? And if you become followers of what is good, who is he? We know it's the evil of this world. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We must understand we live in a world that is opposite of God's ways. It is like an upside down kingdom. Right is wrong. Good is bad. And we see our culture changing. But God's word never changes. That is something you can put your trust. God's word brings stability. We need in the church stability. And we need Christians to hang out with God. Because when you hang out with God, it produces this stability in you, this strength that the world is looking for. That's why the world is into a lot of things. But God is telling us it's an upside down kingdom. Okay? Verse 14 says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. It's amazing that Peter quotes out of the book of Isaiah right here. What's also amazing Remember, Peter was just a fisherman up in Galilee. He wasn't educated. But you hear he's giving us a quote out of Isaiah. I'm going to read that, Isaiah 8, verse 12. It says, starting with verse 11, For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand. And instructed me that I should not walk in the way of these people. Isaiah is speaking. And what was happening at this time, there was the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah. And they were speaking to the children and the leaders of Israel. But yet, they were, the leaders were saying, don't listen to those guys. Because what they're saying to us as a nation, let's trust in God and not man. These leaders would not, were totally against Isaiah 
totally against Jeremiah. They were saying, we don't want to put our trust in God. Let's put our trust in man. Let's put our trust in government. Let's put our trust in the ways of the world. And Isaiah is saying this. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that these people call a conspiracy. They were calling Isaiah and Jeremiah a conspiracy because they were saying, ultimately trust God. Don't trust in man and the affairs of man, but trust God. He wants to be your king, your leader, your ruler. That's why we're going to talk about sanctifying the Lord God in your hearts. He goes on to say, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hollow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. God wants to be all in your life. Not a part of your life, not a part of Sunday morning, not a part of Wednesday night. He wants to be a part of all our lives. And how does that work? Jer uh, Isaiah was saying, they're telling us it's a conspiracy. But no, remember, the ways of God are not the ways of the world. So he goes on to say in verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So where does it start? You can fear man's threats or what the government is pulling us or, or pulling us in a different direction. But if you don't sanctify the Lord God in your heart, you will be pulled in a different direction. What's the word sanctify mean? It means simply to be set apart in your life. And where is a setting apart? It's in our hearts. It, I tell you what, if you don't draw near to God, if you don't put God first in your life, I think Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto us. But we must seek the Lord first. We must sanctify or set apart. How does one set their self apart? By simply going to God and repenting. By simply going to God and saying, you are first in my life. In all your decisions, in all your thinking. That's what God wants. See, we're living in, the, in these last days and we have to sanctify the Lord. We have to put him first and we have to set ourselves apart in our hearts. Because that's where the word of God dwells. You're here this morning. You've come for a reason. And the reason is, hopefully, to seek the Lord. To, to grow in the Lord. That's what God wants. Growth. He wants you, just like Peter, a fisherman, yet quoting from the book of Isaiah. 
What does that mean? He's studying, he's studying the word of God. He's reading the word of God. He's meditating on the word of God. And so we must set apart our lives and we are always be ready to give account. Let's read that in 15 over. Don't be troubled by their threats, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason and the hope that is in you with meekness. The word defense is simply where we get our word apologetics. It's just to defend your faith. That's what Peter is saying. Listen, you're living in a, a chaotic world. You're living in a world that is totally against the things of God, but you need to learn to give a defense of what you believe. And don't be afraid. I bet that may scare you a little. Listen, I have a good friend, two fr good friends here t this morning, Fabian and, and Kent Curry, um, Fabian Jimenez, but Kent knows me probably better than anyone. We didn't go to school to learn. We went to school to play, and we got A's in playing. But uh, education-wise was far from my thoughts. And uh, to see him here this morning is uh, a great joy. I tell you what, to see one of your friends come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it's a blessing. I've known him since sixth grade. And that's a whole other story when we first met. But he knows if you study, he knows we didn't go to school to learn. We went to play. But Peter is encouraging us to give a defense of the gospel. And I have placed my heart when God saved me at a young age, 17 years old, and I said, I will study the word of God. I will be one who will be able to encourage and strengthen. You can do this. Don't be afraid because he's telling us we must be ready to give a defense of what you believe. Listen, a believer needs to understand what you believe, that's us. What you believe, you need to understand that. You need to put, place it in your heart. That's how you sanctify yourself. Then be able to tell the truth in humility, thoughtfully, and reasonably, and biblically. You don't need to argue the gospel. What you need to do is sit down and love. And love the person that you're sharing the gospel with. Reasonably, thoughtfully, and biblically. Give a defense of what you believe. And don't be afraid. I encourage you. If you think you don't know, but... You may not know all the scriptures, but uh, you can give a testimony of your life to those in front of you. That's what Peter is saying. Give a defense. Always be ready. 
Verse 16 says, having a good conscience that when, you def- when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Listen, remember we live in an upside down kingdom. You want to be great in the kingdom of God, be the servant of all. Well, that, the world doesn't teach that. Peter's telling us to have a good conscience. What does it mean to have a good conscience? What is a conscience? I think we have a picture of this angel right here telling us, don't do that. And then we have this other guy who's in the red saying, go ahead. If it feels good, do it. You know, that's a conscience. Listen, if you have not sanctified or set yourself apart, your conscience will be swayed back and forth. You must place the word of God as your conscience. And when you have the word, you'll know what is right and wrong. Having a good conscience. So when then they bring an accusation against you, verse 16 says, those evildoers, those who revile you or hassle you, your good conduct in Christ may be may be ashamed or put them to shame because of your truth, because of who you are in Christ. Paul talks about this conscience in the book of Romans. Verse, ch- chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. Let me just read what 15 says. And Paul says, Who show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. When the word of God is in your heart, it's going to cause your conscience to bear witness of it. You'll know what is right. You'll know what is wrong. It's like the little boy who is caught with his hand in the cookie jar, and the mom comes around the corner and says, What are you doing? Nothing. He knows what he's doing. The word of God will direct our conscience. We need to have a good conscience before God. That's sanctifying the Lord God in your heart. Verse 17 says, For it is better that it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. 2 Peter in the, in the second epistle, talks about that. Let me just turn to that real quick and read that. Sec, uh, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2 says, starting with 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fresh, uh, f- fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter is telling us that the world looks 
at us. They're going to look and they're going to observe who you are as a Christian. Let's let us suffer for doing good and not suffer for doing bad. Amen. And so starting with verse 18 Christ it says for Christ suffered once for sin the just for the unjust that he might bring to us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit interesting that Christ suffered once remember in the book of Hebrews the author tells us that the priests had a sacrifice for themselves, then sacrifice for the people, and they had to do that daily. But Christ suffered once and for all. What a blessing that we don't have to have a ritual religious right happening every day we have to do the same thing do it over repeat but would would Christ Christ suffer once for sins the Old Testament covenant Jews what I just said talked about that they had a sacrifice all the time and that was in the temple Christ offered up once, not like the high priest who offered up sacrifice for themselves and then for the people of sin. Verse 8, latter part of 18 says, the result of Christ's suffering was to bring us to God. That was the purpose of his suffering, to bring you and me to God, to give us access to his throne. Remember in the Old Testament, in the temple, you had to go bring your sacrifice to the priest. The priest then would cleanse it and bring it to the altar. It was a, a full-on religious ceremony. But remember, it says that God said, he wasn't interested in your sacrifice, but he was interested in your heart. You could sacrifice all day in religion, but it was really your heart. Where was your heart? You could sacrifice and bring an animal to the altar, but your heart would be far from there. It's like the story of the little boy where his mom said, you're in trouble, Billy. Go in the corner and sit down in that chair. And he said, no, oh, don't say that. Wait till your father gets home. Okay, and he goes in the corner and he sits in there and you know what he's saying in his heart? I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm really standing in the inside. <laughs> That's us. We must sanctify the Lord God in our heart so you could bring sacrifices to God. You could come to church every Sunday and Wednesday, but yet your heart not be there. That, that's called religion. 
And God wants us to pull us out of that in a relationship of love. He wants to love you through his son, Jesus. And it's going to go on to tell us of this suffering that Christ suffered for us. But the end result was a blessing. Powerful. It was the love of God. You could be like Billy in the corner, sitting down, but on the outside, but inside standing up. Hmm. Verse 19 says, By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. The word preach means to proclaim or tell. Christ, after he died on the cross, before he ascended into heaven, he went to Hades and he preached or he told to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient, verse 20, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Listen, Christ went to Haiti to proclaim or tell these fallen spirits. They were the demonic spirits that were sent to earth or to hell. And Peter is describing something here. That in the sufferings of Christ, that he proclaimed in hell, he didn't preach like the gospel, what he did was he proclaimed to them, I am the Christ. I am the one. I am the, God, uh, the, the son of God that you rejected, that you turned against. And he's just letting them know. He's proclaiming to them. They weren't getting out of hell, these spirits. You can look at Genesis chapter 6 and read through that part before the flood. Man and these demonic spirits upon the earth, it was wicked time. Like today. Verse 20 says, who formerly were disobedient. These spirits were disobedient. When once the, the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. These spirits were evil. And they were in the Old Testament disobedient. And this was before the flood. Listen. When once the divine long-suffering suffering waited in the days of Noah. How long did God wait for the people to repent? God told Noah, build the ark. Rain is coming. Judgment is coming. How many days or how many years was it before the rain fell? 
120 years, God waited patiently, used Noah as a witness. Because God's heart is that all men to be saved. That's the heart of God, and we need to understand that. And so when you're given a defense for the gospel, not in anger and making your point, but in loving kindness that you would share the goodness of God to someone who does not know. Because God waited 120 years before judgment fell, rain came. That's the love of God. You're here this morning because God loves you. He sees in you a preciousness, a goodness because of Christ in you. Desiring more. So this divine long-suffering, 120 years, waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Hmm. Eight people. They say, they estimate, there was probably, at that time, because man lived to be eight, 900 years old, Six, seven hundred years. The population was no different than today. Eight billion people. But yet only eight walked into that ark and were saved from the judgment. Hmm. Man, you can imagine the brokenness of God's heart of man. Listen, we have the answer. We have the truth that lies in us. But you must sanctify the Lord God in your heart. You must set apart. You must have say, Lord. And if you call him Lord, he's, that means he's your master. And you're his servant. Lord, I surrender all to you. It's all about you. And I believe that's what God is calling us to his table. The table's set. Everything's on it. Everything you need to live a godly life is set before you. You just got to choose what you want in life. You got to choose what God is speaking to your heart. And sometimes those choices are very hard. Because it will separate you from family, from friends, from co-workers. It does. You have to make a stand. Set the Lord God in your heart so he could work in you his goodness, his mercy, and love. So God waits 120 years. But only eight walked into this ark, ark and were saved through water. Now, Peter's going to talk about this. Peter's going to draw us a picture, an antitype. 
Let me, let me read this, verse 21. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter is going to uh, paint this picture or draw this picture. And Noah's salvation from judgment of God was connected to water. Just like Christian salvation relates to water, the water of baptism. But the water flood washed away sin and the wickedness and brought a new world. A fresh start with God after the flood. Water baptism does the same thing. There is an antitype now, which now saves us, which is baptism, Peter says. Not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the answer of, of God's conscience through God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think that's the point that Peter is talking about. This washing is not the outward washing of your filth and dirt. Peter is teaching that the fact that eight people were in the ark went through the whole judgment and yet unharmed. Just like Christians, we are saved in Christ, the ark of our salvation. It's an antitype. An antitype is an earthly expression of a spiritual reality. So he's painting, he's drawing a picture. Here's this reality. This is what's true. I'm going to show you. It indicates a symbol of a picture or a pattern of spiritual truth. That's what Peter's describing here. That's what Peter's drawing. It's an earthly expression of a spiritual reality. The ark, the times of Noah, the evil days. That eight walked into that ark and God closed the door. Rain fell. That through the judgment of God, they were saved through water. But was it the water that saved them? Hmm. Or a good conscience towards God? Or sanctifying thyself? Because their salvation was in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It wasn't the removal of filth of the flesh. It wasn't an outside ritual that saved them. There are some religions today that believe once you're born as an infant, you should be baptized over the removal of I think it was called venial sin. But that's an outward. Peter is describing something to us that happens inward. Because the eight souls that went into the ark were saved from the judgment of God. Those who accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because Christ comes into them. 
That's the ark of their salvation. And that's what Peter is describing here. It goes on to say, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. And we talked about what this conscience meant. It's the right, what is right and what is bad. What is good, what is evil. And how do we bring that consciousness within us? By knowing the word of God. By knowing God. By setting God first in your life by sanctifying yourself before the Lord. I tell you, it's, it's a process. It does, sometimes it's not overnight. Salvation is overnight, but as you grow in the Lord and mature, you're setting yourself apart. You're understanding, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. God's word says this, I've sanctified my heart. The word answer has the idea of a pledge, agreeing to a certain condition of a covenant, the new covenant with God. Christ died for our sins, and that covenant was through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says, if Christ didn't raise or rise, then our faith would be nullified where you wouldn't have to believe but because Christ died for our sins to bring justification through faith that when he rose from the dead he brought life the first fruit that's why we're alive today because of Christ what saves a person Plagued with sin and guilt. Conscience is not some external right, but the agreement with God to get into the ark of of salvation. The Lord Jesus, by faith, in his death and resurrection. What saves a person when they believe and get into that ark? Because there was billions of people who saw for 120 years the ark being built. And they looked at it and wondered, you know, I can't imagine what they thought. But yet Noah was faithful. He set in his heart. He sanctified his heart. This is what God told me to do and this is what I'm going to do. Is God telling you something this morning in your heart? Is he asking you to set yourself apart? There's a task that God has for you in your life. A plan. Not your plan, but God's plan. What does it take? What will it take for us? Surrender. Surrender to God. Don't be afraid. He is a good God, a patient God, 
Can you imagine he waited 120 years? But yet they did not want to change. And only eight got into that ark. Verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. And what does that tell us? It's final. It's done. Jesus has died, was resurrected, went to hell and proclaimed his authority. Christ the Messiah went to heaven and now is in heaven seated at the right hand of God. There's a name, my grandson, one of my grandsons, I have nine of them now and one granddaughter and one of my Drew's middle son who is named Ben see Jesus now sitting at the right hand of his father it's finished it's done we could rejoice in this. There's no more. You don't have to do this. You don't have to follow this. All you have to do is sanctify the Lord thy God in thy heart. Set yourself apart for the work of God. There's a transition happening right now in our world. Not just in our country, but in the Middle East. Things are happening in our world today and it's going to trans, transmit us, change the whole world. Going into Downey, maybe today, you'll set God apart in your heart. Maybe today you'll say, okay, I'm, I'm willing, I'm ready. Who has gone into heaven at the right hand of God, it's final, it's done. The angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him, amen. The point and application to us today is this, that suffering can be in context for one's greatest triumph. Suffering in context can be one's greatest triumph. Meaning, just as Christ suffered and died, brought about salvation in heaven for all who would believe in your life. Maybe you're suffering today. Maybe you're going through a hard time. As a worship team comes up, we're going to play a song and give you an opportunity to set God apart in your heart. You guys feel a little warmer? I do.
<laughs> Let's stand. Let's stand before the Lord. I want to encourage you where you are this morning. God loves you. He knows all things. I tell you what. It wouldn't be nice to say I'm perfect, but I'm not. It would be nice to say I have all things in control, but I don't. But I know one thing. I have set the Lord my God in my heart. I have sanctified myself that he would be glorified. And what a joy. It brings tears to my eyes that he would save me. He saw value in me that I did not see. He sees value in you that you do not know. And he loves you. And as we worship the Lord, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you have never set or sanctified the Lord thy God in your heart. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to allow God to fill you as we worship this song. Speak to him because he's here. The table is set. It's all before you. Receive.